this might be the window where some sort of amalgamation of the Mountain West, the Pac-12 merge, and then somehow Gonzaga gets swooped up in that, maybe. How's it going, everyone? And welcome back for season three of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. And a lot has happened over the summer. I'm sure a lot of you are still either like playing a little bit of catch up, getting kind of get set back into the the coming college uh, athletic seasons. Uh, obviously, college football is going to be starting here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have college basketball, which is still a, we're less than 100 days away, but we are still a couple months out. And so figuring out like who's on what team, where everyone is, what's the outlook for everybody is going to be an interesting thing. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to go, I'm going to talk about some of the newcomers, the best newcomers, some of the best returners to the WCC. There've been a lot of roster changes. So we'll go into some of that. Uh, we'll also start to talk about some of the schedules as we were starting to get better ideas of what teams are starting to look like schedule wise. Uh, looks like we have had one schedule fully released Santa Clara. So we'll go, we'll review that and go through that game by game and just kind of see where we think that Santa Clara team is going to fall. And then, and we'll get into all of that, but I think we have to start with what is the big news all over college athletics and all of sports right now is uh, realignment. And so I don't, we can't not talk about, about this, even though it at the moment is not directly impacting the WCC, we know this is going to be something that's going to impact the league in some fashion down the road, even if it's not right now. So for those of you who need a little bit of a catch up in this week has definitely been a whirlwind on that front. Friday really was the day when everything happened and it happened very quickly. So in the last few weeks, we know the pact, we know the PAC 12 had already lost USC. We're going to lose USC and UCLA. That was announced last year. They this is their last year in the Pac-12 before they jumped to the Big Ten. That was already out there. A couple of weeks ago, then it was announced that Colorado would then be jumping ship and going back to the Big 12, which is where they were obviously before joining the Pac-12 about a decade plus ago. And that started the wheels turning again on realignment. That started the conversation about the sustainability of the league. And then there were rumors about Arizona in Arizona State, maybe Utah. And while those started to settle down and the Pac-12 CEOs all met to discuss their new media rights deal with Apple TV and what that was going to look like, the dollars and cents and getting into that, nothing was approved. It was presented, but nothing approved. And then what we saw is that the Big Ten jumped at this opportunity. And Washington and Oregon were the two big fish in the out there that the Big Ten were interested in. And that is, that's not new. Like That had been out there for a while that if those two schools were going to move, the Big Ten made the most sense. And really, the linchpin of all of that talk was Oregon. If Oregon goes, then Washington would go with them. And if Oregon goes... Because this is all driven by football, as much as I, being a basketball fan and not really a college football fan, don't like that idea and don't like hearing it, 
these are the facts. This is all driven by football money, TV money. And if Oregon went, Washington was going to go. And if Oregon left the Pac-12, the dominoes were going to start falling after that. And sure enough, on Friday, it was announced that Oregon would be leaving for the Big Ten, that Washington would be leaving for the Big Ten. And then it was announced that Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah had applied for membership in the Big 12. And that is essential, that is more or less going to be a done deal, which means that what was once the Pac-12, then was down to the Pac-10, then 9, and now after this wave, they are down to 4. Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. That's it. What was once this proud, successful conference of champions is down to four. And the four are not are are not the most impressive. And now it's what happens to the remainder of this league? What happens to the branding and the legacy of this conference? What how does this impact maybe the Mountain West? How does this impact other conferences? Obviously, how does this impact the WCC? Does it at all? Does it just impact someone like I don't think we're going to see any impact of like the Big Sky or the Big West because they're too small, but what happens to those four? And there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of of reports out there of what is happening. It sounds like maybe that Cal and Stanford have reached out to see what possibility it is for them to join the Big Ten. Uh, That would make more sense for those two institutions rather than the Big 12. What happens to Washington State and Oregon State? It feels like those two are just getting left out in the cold. Uh, I mean, the thing that makes the most sense to me is that they all end up with the Mountain West. Then there's... With But then with the Mountain West, it's like, okay, but the branding of the Pac-12 is probably still better. So maybe they should join, maybe those, you the Pac-12 should reach out and try to recruit select teams for the Mountain West. But then as we saw with the San Diego State situation, the buyout from the Mountain West is so large that maybe that's not a route you want to go down. So what then is there to do? What can you do? Moving forward, what is something that you can actually take out of this? And where do these teams go? It sounds like maybe a merging of the two leagues is maybe the one of the things that is going to make some sort of sense. There are rumors about Memphis. There's rumors about uh, SMU. That has been out there for a while because that was going to be the pairing with San Diego State. San Diego State, maybe Boise, maybe UNLV, Colorado State. Like there's... There's so much chaos around this now and it be, and the the fate of the remainder of the pack whatever is now in the balance. And do I see how do I see this impacting the WCC if at all this might be the window where some sort of amalgamation of the Mountain West, the Pac-12 merge and then somehow Gonzaga gets swooped up in that. Maybe that's like the only scenario I see where like that there's going to be some sort of movement with the WCC right now. They're stuck at nine. BYU obviously is gone again. The reminder for those who are still playing catch up on everything. WCC 
BYU is now in the Big 12. So this is a the West Coast Conference is a nine team league. And there was there are still some sort of talks of what about expansion for the WCC. It seems like the league is pretty set on what they have right now. Honestly, probably the biggest component is making sure that the teams you still have are actually happy and and like where the league is going moving forward. And a lot of that is going to have to do on the a lot of that, I think, is obviously the TV deal and where that goes and what streaming looks like and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think any any of us who have watched any games on the WCC network know that that is a, is a platform that could use a lot of upgrades, that could use a lot of investment and um, focus. And that sometimes, and while network games are, I know there's much, not much of an issue there. Like I feel like that that is an area where it would be the ESPN deal, the CBS deal. Uh, those those are actually have been very beneficial to the WCC. Uh, we've seen we've seen success on court of USF, Santa Clara, LMU over the last few years. So we see that coming. Portland has been up and down. So like again, part of it is on court success and what those teams do. It'd be great to see another one of them actually break into the NCAA tournament that's not named Gonzaga or St. Mary's. But it but it also just comes to eyeballs and it does. Now, I do think there are more eyeballs on this league than there are, ever have been before, but how much is, how much are those new eyeballs making a difference in these TV deals? And only time will tell as we see, as we start to hear more about the negotiations on that front and where the rest of the realignment falls. Because again, this is, this is a basketball first conference. None of these teams outside of San Diego play football. And this, all these TV decisions, all the... All these realignment decisions have been made with football first in mind. And again, I know that's frustrating. It hurts me to, to frame it in that way and to say, kind of like throw your, throw your shoulders up and be like, uh, well, kind of is what it is. And we after we're along for the ride. So hopefully we start to see a little bit more that results out of that and we'll see how realignment goes all right so i'm going to transition now and talk a little bit more about what we have coming up in this for in this new wcc season in this new men's basketball season coming up starting in november and let's start with the guys who are coming back and the guys who will be returning to the WCC. And honestly, the, the list is actually fairly thin. If you really think about it, Gonzaga lost a lot of guys. USF is going to have almost a new starting five. Santa Clara is going to have a lot of turnover. LMU has a lot of turnover. So a lot of the stars that we had a year ago uh, are gone. So really identifying who those next guys are going to be immediately uh, is going to be an interesting thing. Again, there's a few guys you can go to and... I'm I'm going to start with maybe the one that probably is most obvious on is going to be one of those better players in the league. And he was one of the star, the breakout stars of last year being his freshman year. And that's Aiden Mahaney at St. Mary's Mahaney. We saw last year really come onto the scene and come up in some of the biggest moments for the Gales a year ago. We saw what he did against Gonzaga and Moraga. We saw what he did at BYU as the buzzer went off, we saw what he was able to do late in games and in critical situations 
all year long. Now, as we got deeper and deeper into the season, it did seem like teams started to adjust to him a little bit more. And even by the time they got to the NCAA tournament, hadn't he hadn't quite figured out how to make those adjustments. But you expect that freshmen are going to have some of those struggles and they're going to really need to make some adjustments. So what we see from year one to year two, I think is going to be critical for Mahaney. I, I fully expect he's going to make those, some of those adjustments. Uh, he, he's been working out. He's he posts, um, fair, a good amount of updates to his Instagram stories. You can always kind of keep tabs on what, uh, uh, Aiden Mahaney is up to. Uh, and then also he was invited to the Chris Paul elite camp. So that's another opportunity where he was uh, with other elite guards around the country uh, and other, other collegiate guards around the country. And this is a guy who doesn't shy away from the big moment. I think just the keys for him are adjustments and then also getting stronger, which again is a natural thing for college athletes to kind of go through as you go from year one to year two to year three is becoming stronger and becoming again your the transition of playing against boys to playing against uh young adults to playing against men and that is a strength as a strength component which he will only get better at so again best returners in no particular order aiden mahaney is going to be the first one i mentioned next one i'm going to head up to spokane and he's going to he Arguably, I know some will make the case he should have been the defensive player of the year last year, but he should absolutely be the front runner for defensive player of the year this year, and that's Anton Watson. Anton Watson really has been the best glue guy in the WCC probably for the last three years, two or three years. And we know everything he can do defensively. He can guard multiple positions. He knows how how to defend without fouling. He rebounds well. He stays in front of guys. And what but then the, the other thing we saw toward the end of the season last year was what changed and how he was able to adjust on the offensive end. He became a better offensive threat toward the end of the year as Gonzaga needed him to become that. As teams started to focus more and more on Drew Timmy and try to take him away, it became critical for Watson to step up and give more offensively, and he was able to do so. We saw his three-point shot get better toward the end of the year. We saw his creativity get better. He got to show more of it at the end. Of the year. I don't want to say it got better. He was able to show more toward the end of the year because his role was starting to change. He was asked to do a little bit more. And I think that's what, what's going to happen this year. Even though Graham E.K. does come in and he, and that's a guy who, we, if healthy, you know what he's going to be able to do. That's like That's an 18 and 10 sort of guy. But Anton Watson is the is the veteran of this Gonzaga squad. He is the guy who knows the system best. He's the guy who knows the culture best. He is Spokane's um, Spokane's own. He this is a guy who I think is going to take another step in his development. I think it was a great thing that he returned. I think there's a few things that he was be able to uh, to work through and be a better prospect on the NBA front come next year. And I do think that he's going to figure out a way onto an NBA roster, at least a summer league team, ne <clears throat> excuse me, next year as he goes into his, this again, this last year of his eligibility. So this is it for him. I expect a great year from Anton Watson. 
and so the next one, I have two more that are going to stick in my head, and I feel like there is back and forth on these two. So I'll start with the other St. Mary's player that's on my list, and that's Alex Dukas. Obviously, Alex Dukas was actually one of the bigger surprises of the offseason when he decided that he was going to return to St. Mary's. And it it really did feel like this is like an unfinished business sort of return. We saw what we saw how St. Mary's was playing in that game against UConn in the tournament when Alex Dukas went down. They still had a lead when he went down. They were in that game when he went down. And then it all and then it all fell apart once he left the game. And maybe that would have happened anyway. Maybe UConn would have pulled away, but we will never know. And St. Mary's ended up losing the game by 15. So again, that one is neither here nor there. But the fact that he returns, this is, you're returning one of the best leaders in the conference. You're returning one of the best shooters in the conference. You're returning one of the tougher players in the conference. This is a guy who's going to to be that leader, be that toughness, be that clutch player that St. Mary's is going to need in a lot of games down the stretch. We'll talk reason why as we talk about their schedule in a little bit. But Alex Dukas is one of those guys that you're that Samers is going to lean on a lot going into this year. And it really did fill a hole that had some question marks if he had not returned. That three that three spot was going to be a bit murky going into next year, but with him there, his return solidifies the three spot for St. Mary's, and he's going to be one of the better players on the West Coast and in the WCC. All right, so next one, this is a guy that has been, I mean, he is—he has been Mr. Everything for Portland for the last three years. Tyler Robertson has has done it all. He scores, he rebounds, he dishes it out. He has triple doubles. Like he'll drop 30. It's like, this is a guy who just knows how to fill up a stat sheet, knows how to be in the right place at the right time. And it's, I I wish that he had some more help on this team uh, because again, like a lot of injuries a year ago. So again, not nothing that he could possibly do about that, but Tyler Robertson remains one of the more versatile, one of the one of the tougher players in this league that and he's going to be doing it for Portland team, which is really going to be has a lot of question marks going into the year. And we'll be able to kind of see how that starts to work itself out and how exactly is Tyler Robertson in his last year going to be able to lift this team up, hopefully to to be in the top half of the WCC. There is some there's a window there, even though he has to talk about like USF, Santa Clara and, and, um, and LMU are all kind of like right there in the middle of the mix. And those three are going to be probably the middle three teams. Portland still has a shot to potentially break into that, into that six or five slot. If everything goes their way. And if everything goes their way, Tyler Robertson is going to be at the center of all of it. All right, and I'm going to start actually going into the best newcomers in a little bit, but I do want to segue. And so for some of you who follow me on social, and it's been sort of mentioned during the podcast from time to time that I'm 
bit of a craft beer uh, connoisseur and I, and, and I'll be posting a lot about it on Instagram or some of the other platforms. Uh, but one of the, one of the things I also love is seeing like new places pop up and be able to support those new, those new businesses. One of, one of which is actually some of my friends who have started up match point brewing here in the Bay area. And over the last month, they, they created a Kickstarter uh, as they are trying to raise funds for a new tap room, uh, which is going to be here in the Bay area. Their two core beers are a Jasmine rice lager and a, a Mandarin wheat ale, which I do have a can of one of them right here as you can see. Um, and this has been a, or a great small bre uh, brewery there. Um, they have, they have their beer in a number of locations. You can check it out on their website, but also follow them on social media. Like you can find them at match point brewing on Instagram and also on TikTok. Uh, and so they are doing a number of things. Uh, one of the things as far as a feature of the new tap room is that they'll be doing a beer of the week uh, to fundraise for local athletic programs and recreational sports organizations. They hosted a, a tennis tournament just a couple months ago as one of their fundraising events. Uh, they're planning to do a three on three community basketball tournament next year in El Cerrito, which is in uh, the East Bay, just North of Berkeley uh, during March madness. So this will happen next March. So again, um, I encourage everybody to go out and support them. You can find information on their social media about all the fundraising opportunities. And then also some of the, um, the packages that are coming with some of those, uh, some of those fundraising opportunities. And for those St. Mary's people who are around, uh, they're also going to be pouring at the uh, St. Mary's summer, uh, summer wine and beer fest, which I will also be attending uh, this coming weekend. So if you're out there, check them out, check them out on social media. I know they'll appreciate the support. And again, I, I'm big on just supporting local, local businesses, especially those who are in the craft beer scene, because that is a, that is an area where I uh, have a lot of passion. All right. Uh, and with, with talking about new breweries and I'm going to segue into the best newcomers that are going to be, that are going to be coming into the WCC. And I think there's, there's a, I'm looking at this in a couple of ways. There are the known commodities and then there are the high potential. And two of the names I'm going to say are high potential. And then the one is a very clear known commodity and he's going to hit the ground running. Honestly, he may be the best player in the league and I'll start with Ryan Nemhart. The Creighton transfer gone to Gonzaga. Yes, this is Andrew Nemhard's brother. So if the name sounds familiar, that would be why. And he averaged 12 points for almost nearly five assists a game last year in a sophomore year for Creighton. And this was a really, really good Creighton team who got to the second weekend. So I I expect Ryan Ambar to hit the ground running at Gonzaga because again, if we if we as we talked about Gonzaga almost all year long last year, what were they missing? A point guard. A true point guard who could take the lead. This is that guy. Ryan Nemhart is that guy who can take charge, be that guy down the stretch. He's going he's going to give Gonzaga a steadiness that maybe they did not have handling the ball up and down the court on a routine basis. And and yes, there is still going to be a there's still some help in that backcourt area, but this is the guy who's going to be taking the bulk of that 
of that load. This is a guy who's going to be stepping up into what is going to be probably the marquee's um the marquee position for Gonzaga. He's going to be their best. He should be their best player next year. He's going to be their, at least their most important player next year. And so I expect Ryan Ebert to be completely in the mix for WCC player of the year next year, probably with Mahaney and maybe the likes of like uh, Mitchell Saxon, or maybe um, like there's a, there's a few others that might actually kind of like get into that mix. Tyler Robertson might be in that mix. But Ryan Amhart is going to hit the ground running. He is going to be one of the best players in the league next year. And he's LB making his WCC debut in November. So a couple of the others, I'm going to go first one. I'm going to go to Santa Clara. And this is also high ceiling. And I'm going to go with Adama Ball. So Adama Ball is a transfer from Arizona. Uh, he's also on the U-20 French national team. He didn't play a whole lot of Arizona, uh, not a whole lot of minutes anyway. But in those minutes, he shot 39% from three-point range, which, again, this is something that Santa Clara does want to have, and there's a lot of space for that. Again, you think about the Keyshawn Justice role that is now vacant for the Broncos, that is something they're going to need filled. And Adama Ball should be able to fill that role pretty easily pretty well. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen immediately. I don't know if it's going to grow into that. Again, there's a lot of new pieces at Santa Clara. I expect Adama Ball to get as much opportunity as anybody else uh, going into the season. He did play seven games over the summer with the with the U-20 French national team. He averaged 11 points, shooting uh, 37% from three, 53% from two. So I think Feels like he's got the momentum to go into next season as being one of those guys, one of the best newcomers for for in the WCC, and then of course for Santa Clara. And then, then the other one, I'm going to go just up up 101, and I'm going to visit USF for my other potential best newcomer, and that's going to be uh, Mike Sharavjams. This is the the. He is the 6'8 guard uh, transfer from Dayton. And while, again, he did also, he played about 23 minutes a game last year. He was averaging about 5.6 points per game. But what makes him unique, what is going to make him special, why, why a lot of people are high on him, is because he's a 6'8 point guard. And you just do not see a whole lot of those in college basketball, really on any level. And so just his length, just his athleticism is going to be something that you don't see, especially in the WCC all that often. So his uniqueness, his also on a team that's going to have a lot of opportunity to kind of fill into these roles, fill into these spots. USF does has a lot of turnover going into this year. Josh Coonan does return. Marcus Williams does return. But you have a lot of holes, and so they brought in a lot of transfers, a lot of really good transfers, and it will be interesting to see how it all fits together. But there's no, but there's more hype around the the arrival of of Mongolian Mike more than anybody else coming up to the hilltop. Probably maybe more hype than anybody in the WCC, short of maybe even Ryan Nebhard coming uh, to Gonzaga. So there's there's a lot to be excited at USF. And Sharab Jones is a is the big reason why there is excitement uh, in San Francisco. 
I could spend all day long talking about all the newcomers and everything else, but we're going to transition into some of the schedule um, updates. And we'll and I'll start with what USF has already and what USF has announced. And they have announced their Chase Center game. Uh, it's going to be against Minnesota. Uh, and I'm going to check on that day just to be sure I have it right. Because that one is going to be an interesting one. USF and USF going into that one. It's going to be interesting because I feel like USF, again, not only have a lot of questions, this Minnesota team is not a very good Minnesota team. Uh, that game will be on November 26th at Chase Center. And that will be a doubleheader with the women who will be taking on Colorado State. So this is, I think it's a, just a great opportunity for USF to see a a power six team, but this is a very low, low power six team. I think they were net in the 200. So this is this is a got to get for USF, but it's still a good opportunity to see a power six team on a neutral court, neutral court back at the Chase Center. All right, so really the big one is Santa Clara because they released their whole schedule just the other day. And Santa Clara has some really good games on there. And that really all starts with uh, the Emerald Coast Classic. And they'll be starting with Oregon. And then they will take on either Alabama or Ohio State. So automatically, Santa Clara is going to ha has two opportunities to get big, big wins early on in the schedule. And that and that'll be over the Thanksgiving um, weekend. Oregon, Alabama, Ohio State—all great opportunities for Santa Clara to pick up great wins. This is something they haven't had an opportunity to get over the last few years out in non-conference. Obviously, they've had opportunities against St. Mary's and uh, Gonzaga, but they haven't had that non-conference th that that big, big marquee wow win against other teams. We saw that against TCU a bit two seasons ago, not last year. Boise Boise is a was a good win, but even Boise as great as good of a team as they are did not doesn't have that wow factor as much as Oregon, Alabama or Ohio State will have. Especially if they got they get Alabama and are able to knock them off. That is going to be a big uh lift for Santa Clara. Also on their schedule, they have New Me they have New Mexico, they have Utah State, Washington State. Uh, they'll be taking on Stanford. Uh, they'll be ho and they'll be at Maples Pavilion. So they have a lot of good opportunities to get good wins. San Jose State on there, and that's going to be that's that's not a cakewalk either. And that again, maybe a cro crosstown rivalry um, over in San Jose. So a lot of opportunity for Santa Clara. Good, good, solid schedule for them. There are a couple of games that might be trap games, but they have to avoid uh, the traps against, say, Duquesne or Yale so that they could really bolster their resume going into conference play. And a conference that no longer has those two those two games against BYU, so you have to make the best of what you can in the non-conference because your opportunities in conference for good wins is that much smaller. All right, and we'll wrap it up with what St. Mary's has put together, at least to this point. Uh, there's some of this which has been officially announced, some of it which is still being put together. Now, I will say, I don't think that St. Mary's doesn't have the Alabama opportunity there yet, but uh, 
as part of the Continental Tire main event in Las Vegas, they will start with San Diego State, which obviously they've played San Diego State each of the last few years. That is a that's a great matchup. Uh, I'll say it now, like first the 55 wins that game. uh, And but then the second game, there's an opportunity if they were to get Xavier. Washington is the other opponent, and as we, as we saw last year, St. Mary's would probably not want to see Washington again. Uh, but to see Sean Miller's Xavier team would be a great opportunity for this team. Might be the marquee game if they can get it. I don't see the other marquee game on their schedule quite yet, so I'm hoping that we'll see that one pop up somewhere down the road. They, so they do see Boise State. They have a return game at Colorado State. They will play UNLV. Missouri State, they do play Utah, which is to be determined on the date. Weber State is also already slated on on the calendar. So there's a lot of solid, solid games, very much like what we saw a year ago where there wasn't a there wasn't that cupcake game. There wasn't that gimme game uh, for St. Mary's. Everybody was a solid, solid team. And again, maybe it's a little bit more inside basketball that these are really good teams. But there's a lot of opportunity for St. Mary's to again kind of kind of build that build that analytical resume that's going to show that they're going to end up still being probably a top 20 net team by the end of the year i would still like to see the marquee game the the brand name i the brand game i guess a better way to phrase that but this is a solid schedule already again you already have san diego state you have colorado state you have boise UNLV, Middle Tennessee, Missouri State, Utah, and then either Xavier or Washington. It's a solid, solid schedule to this point. Again, hats off to uh, really like, like just hats off to uh, both the coaching staffs at Santa Clara and St. Mary's for getting these schedules put together because these are looking like solid, really solid tournament tournament level resumes if they can get if they can pick up the right wins and get and position themselves in the right way before conference play starts in January. And we'll go in more in depth once we get official schedules in a little bit more. So we'll talk about Gonzaga and what theirs looks like, because there's <laughs> I'm on murderers row. Gonzaga's is going to be a lot. And to go into that is going to be a lot. So we'll, we'll do that in a different episode. So again, like as I start to wrap this one up, I do incur, I do encourage you all to check out Matchpoint Brewing. You can find them on on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at Matchpoint Brewing. Check out their their Kickstarter. I'm go, I'm participating in that as well. Uh, be sure to follow me on all the platforms. Like I'm still going to say Twitter, even though it's not Twitter at Post by Zach on Instagram. Same user handle on TikTok. All of those platforms. Also on Threads on threads now. So at post by Zach there, subscribe on the, on the YouTube channel, unofficial WCC hoops podcast. And that will wrap up this first episode of season three of the WC unofficial WCC hoops podcast. We'll continue to get uh, interviews with people from around the conference and really start to get into it as we get closer and closer to the season. So again, for those who are coming back, thanks for, Thanks for sticking around for season three. For those who are hopping on new, I hope that we'll be able to deliver some great, I'll be able to deliver some great content to you and be able to engage with you a little bit more on all the platforms. Again, like at me, like join the conversation, all that sort of stuff. 
Um, so until the next episode, um, have a great, have a great, uh, couple of weeks and I will catch you later.